Um, so I understand from uh, traveling uh, Korea and China that you've been really uh, blessed with uh, uh, our series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, that's uh, wonderful to hear. You have a great teacher here, and that's, uh, that's uh, wonderful. But first, uh, let me just give you some update on uh, my trip uh, for the last three weeks uh, between Korea and, and China. Well, as you know, um, the first two weeks, uh, Janice and I spent uh, time um, in, uh, in Korea, uh, finishing up some of the um, courses, or actually finishing up, finish up the courses for the marketplace uh, missionary uh, program. Um, and I was basically representing Biblical Theological Seminary, and we're done. And uh, in fact, the graduation will be next uh, month, uh, will be uh, actually not next month, uh, June, uh, first week of June. And uh, I will be going back there, but this time only for six days, uh, not three weeks. Uh, but it's important graduation. We'll be commissioning them as uh, uh, missionaries, uh, 1,024 of them. So it's a huge crowd that we're uh, blessing. Yeah, yeah. And um, um, so I was there, like, you know, giving a lot of uh, messages to many different uh, churches and organizations and some business uh, meetings as well. And uh, probably have given uh, equal to about 15 uh, different talks while I was there in Korea. And uh, but last, uh, the third week, uh, I spent uh, one week traveling China and also uh, uh, visiting a, a Chinese church, uh, preaching there as well. So let me just show you some of the map as to uh, where I was so you have some idea. So I started out, if you can go to slide, please. Uh, I started out with... Uh, the yellow being, you know, arriving South Korea. And from there, from the Seoul, I went down to Jeju Island, a little tiny island. It's a little tiny, it's in there. It's a little tiny island. And I was there for a three-day revival. It was have a wonderful and awesome time, a blessed time over there. And went back to Seoul to uh, finish up the, uh, the second part of the uh, second course, uh, uh, the, the second uh, uh, session for that uh, final course. And then after that, uh, flew to uh, Busan, Korea, uh, where it was uh, my birthplace originally. And then I uh, drove down to uh, about an hour from there, Kujedo. It's another little island. It's connected. And I had another revival down there. And he just had a huge, huge church. You would think that they have a lot of tiny churches over there because the country is so dense. And even any typical small church, uh, they're pretty, pretty big. I'm talking about several thousand uh, member uh, churches. And uh, from there, we just flew to, let me see if I can say this after two weeks, Zhangjiajie, Zhangjiajie. Did I say that right? Zhangjiajie. And it's uh, in Korean, it's what? Zhangage, something similar to that. And I was there, um, and then from there, we uh, uh, flew to uh, Beijing to look at some great wall uh, for about a couple of days and went back to Seoul and then here. So that was our trip this time. Now, a little scenery for uh, uh, a little review in, uh, on the Zhang Ziajie, and it was just totally amazing place. Can I have the slide, please? And um, now, if you look at this, the, one, the way we're going to look at it is the one on the left, the vertical column, that's not the picture that I took. The one on the right, all the pictures that I've taken it, the one on the left is is I actually Googled it and found some nice pictures. So you can see, because I didn't, uh, uh, didn't have a whole lot of time to, well, I had a lot of time, but I didn't have the expertise to be able to you know, have the right and proper pictures. 
Zhangjia Jie is totally amazing places. Now, place among many places that we have uh, visited, and this is one place that actually uh, I always wanted to visit after seeing the movie Avatar. This is where movie Avatar was filmed, you know, ten some years ago. And I thought when I first saw this movie, I thought it was done in studio, like Hollywood studio. They made it up and all these uh, model uh, planes and things like that. And they told me this is actually exists in the planet Earth, and I didn't believe it. So when they told me that it was done actually in China, I had to go visit, and there we were looking at it, and it was totally amazing. And it's the they have some statue of the uh, the uh, the characters from the Avatar in different spots where they actually jump down from that cliff, and I don't know how they filmed it, but it's just some of the uh, spectacular places, one of this kind of place. Uh, they said this is like uh, not the the best in China. I mean, this is like I looked at the most uh, popular or most visited uh, tour sites in China. This is not even top ten. It's just totally amazing with the stuff that they have over there. So that's what we did, um, and I was looking at it. The, just marveling at the uh, the mystery of the nature, how God just created that wondrous thing. And uh, so we have something similar in our country, which is Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is just the opposite. In other words, you have a surface, earth level, and the Grand Canyon goes down, right? And it's uh, it's a one of its kind. It's nothing like it in any other planet, uh, any other place in, uh, in in the world. But then you go to this place. It's everything is from the surface and above. And it's just no other place like this in, in the world, I was told. It's just totally amazing uh, kind of place. So that was the first day. And the second day, where we were in Zhangjiajie, we actually uh, visited uh, another uh, place called, uh, oh, by the way, this particular place, I'm talking about the National Park, Zhangjiajie, these, these the rocks, they're like tall and slender, and they're like 300 meters to 400 meters which would be like 1,000 to 1,200 feet tall, and it was just absolutely real. So this, the second day, we went to this uh, called Wang Long Tung, which is the cave, which is a cavern, and it's, it's one of the, the largest in China. The size is like 120 acres, 9.3 miles long, at four different levels, and 13 chambers, three underground waterfalls, and two underground rivers, uh, three pools, 96 different passage to leading one place to another, and there's a huge underground lake. And the largest chamber is 43,000 square feet, and highest, highest waterfall is 160 feet. And it's just totally big. It is, I've been to Rural Lake Cavern, Virginia, and the scale is just, just, just basically is out of the scale. Um, it is so, so big. And uh, um, and I had when I got there. If you look at the lower uh, left picture, there's a set of steps. There's 1,000 steps, and uh, I had to walk up there. And when I got there, like I said, oh, I'm not going to do that. 1,000 steps with a, my heart condition, I wasn't quite sure, but uh, I somehow managed to walk slowly, but 1,000 steps just to go to the next chamber. It's just, and in between those thousand, there's in between, there are like poor waters there. Like how many uh, poor waters that I have so many of them. It's kind of totally amazing place uh, that we visited. And so that was the second day. 
And uh, when you see at the bottom, there's uh, took some because I'm an architect. I, lo- I took a picture of the uh, some of the uh, entranceway. They have a little uh, gathering place, like auditorium, and I was pretty neat. I thought it was pretty neat. It kind of fit in with the uh, uh, with the nature how they d- designed it. Um, on the uh, uh, third day, uh, we went to visit. Tianmen Shan. It's uh, in Korean. It's called Chunmun San Mountain. It's uh, absolutely breathtaking. It's uh, in order to get there, we had to ride a cable car for 25 minutes. The average speed of this cable car is about the double of the ones that we're used to in the speed, uh, ski lifts. Because ski lifts are a little different. You have the ski that you hang dangling down on your feet, and they have to slow down. But here, it was really fast for 25 minutes. And how far it went for uh, 25 minutes, it was five-mile-long cable car uh, to get to the top of that plateau. And when you get to the top of upper right cor- uh, left corner, you can see the, the picture of what that um, the plateau, the... Uh, the mountaintop kind of looks like. You can see it's just all rock. It's made out of rock, and it was a gorgeous place. And the, uh, uh, when we were there, it was foggy, um, and uh, we didn't get to really see the whole thing. That's why you have the picture on the left to give you some idea. You can see the, where people are walking at alongside of the cliff. They actually attach the walkway to the side of cliff, and it's some of them are, half of them are made out of glass. So uh, it's pretty scary. If you're not, uh, if you got this height issue, you'll not be able to walk. And thank God it was a foggy day, so we were all of us were able to <laughs> able to <laughs> able to walk. And it was uh, absolutely just uh, amazing. And we were taking a cable car. It was um, it was uh, all we can ever say was like wow, wow, wow. It's totally amazing. On the way down, if you can minimize that particular picture, you can see there's escalator. You know what they did? You know you you have uh, when going up, you take a, um, a cable car uh, five miles, sort of like in the slope way up, and then coming down. Because the traffic, so much traffic, they devised different. Instead of adding more uh, cable cars, they actually drill the holes in the rock all the way from the top to the halfway down, they put escalator. You see that escalator that you see over there? That thing is so long. It's kind of scary looking, you know, right? You know how many of those that we had to take to get to the halfway down? About 10 of them. You come down one, you turn around, go to another one, go to another one, another one. It took forever to just get to the halfway of the mountain. And then from, the, from that point on, if you can minimize that, and the half, once you're halfway down, now you see those uh, curvy uh, uh, the roads, and uh, you take the bus and go. So we actually took, that, took a bus to go all the way down, and I usually get motion sickness, as I had to fight my way to sit right in the front, which I was able to do. But it was totally amazing, amazing place. And the next slide will show you that this, the fourth day, um, we were, uh, came, came to Beijing and uh, was preaching at a, a Chinese church. 
and they call it underground church. Underground, that's not underground, you can see that. It's like, just like our church, it's a typical church, it's not underground, it's underground, is, is known as underground because, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, they were like uh, worshiping in secret, uh, that's why they call underground. Today, they still call underground because technically, I suppose, uh, doing a church is sort of technically kind of illegal, but they don't, uh, they, I was told that, uh, they don't mind that much, but if you do some strange things, like as, as a pastor uh, preaching something against the government or preaching too much on the human freedom, uh, you get in trouble. Other than that, they said it's okay. It was really, among the three weeks I've been there, this probably was the highlight. I asked Janice, what was your highlight? She said, it's being with us, uh, um, the, uh, the Chinese people. They've been only believers. That particular church is about 500 people and uh, three services. And, uh, and then I had a couple of services, and then we had a session in the afternoon. And uh, this, this just really fervent. I mean, when they're praising, just like the way praise, and there were, you know, a lot of them were in tears as they praised. They're just, they're just soaking everything in. Uh, they've been believers, most of them, they said, about only about three to five years, no more. And they're just, just, just hungry uh, for God. So, all this time, visiting all this different uh, uh, places. And as I was traveling, I know when I come back, I had to give a message, and I know exactly what the topic was. It was, I shall not commit adultery. And I'm trying to think, like, how am I going to connect all this thing together? You know, that's a that's tough, tough uh, command to, uh, to deal with. And when I come back from looking at this beautiful the natures, and then how it's going to make a transition from looking at this beautiful wonders of a God, that God created it, how do I shift my mind in, 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 in presenting to you the, 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 the gospel uh, according to the uh, Ten Commandments, uh, number seven, which is thou shalt not commit adultery. And I was all along thinking, man, how I wish my topic was something like in the beginning God created heavens and earth, it would be so easy to do so. But it, all of a sudden, it all made sense. God has his ways, and it all makes sense. And then I looked at all these uh, three places that I visited, the, the cabin, the cave, the, uh, uh, the Tiamun uh, Mountain, the plateau, and then the, that, uh, the rock, that, 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 there's the spear-looking shape of these rocks that just pierce to the sky of the, the Zhang Jie. It's all possible because of the rock, the stone. The rock and stone made it happen. It wasn't, it's not a dirt. Dirt cannot create all that amazing wonders. Even the cave was just, when I walked into the cave, I just sensed the timelessness of that everlasting, ever, everlasting the, uh, 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 the stone, that the timeless has been there for not thousands of years and you know, it's for a long, long time, and in the total stillness, it's been there for forever, and it just again reminded me of something that we all know that I've been preaching about it for so long, that the stone what represents the war of God, stone the rock, is our God, it's our Jesus, rock of ages, my God is my 
my God is my rock, my strength. Remember that it's a throughout Old Testament and the New Testament referring to Jesus. So the Ten Commandment is about the word of God. And the Ten Commandment was, guess what? It's written on a stone tablet. So the word of God is stone. And this is depicted in the story of Tower of Babel. The story of Tower, Tower of Babel has really two points. One is about the people trying to build this amazing tower for a purpose of not glorifying God's name, but glorifying their name. That's why God didn't like it. The second thing is God clearly says in that story, they used brick instead of stone. And all this marvelous, uh, the, the, the nature that I was looking at that particular place in Zhangjiajie was all possible because of the stone, the rock. And it spoke to me something about God's message. In other words, we're supposed to use stone that which lasts forever that which is the word of God to build our lives. But we have been using, and we are, many of us are still using brick. Brick is something that does not last too long. It's man-made. It's our way. It's not God's way. It's, it's our way. And they don't last too long. Brick only lasts 500 years, but it still lasts forever. Brick will eventually get destroyed. No matter how well you bake brick, it only, the peak of its capacity is 500 years. After that point on, it begins to deteriorate. And at about 1,000 years, it goes back to becoming dirt. We're supposed to use stone, but we've been using brick. We're supposed to not commit adultery, but we do that much of the time. Either or both literally or and figuratively. Now, God commends this. And he warns in Proverbs 5, 3, 6. For the lips of adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as double-edged sword. Her feet go down to de death, death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. This is what happens if we use brick to build our lives instead of a stone, that which is the word of God. In the beginning, everything seems so sweet like honey, but at the end, it gets bitter. And it leads to grave. That's the message really about this particular command. And most of the time we commit adultery without even knowing. At first, when I saw this verse that I need to preach, and I said, what more can I preach about this particular command? That I shall not commit adultery. And when you really think about it, we know it. So it's sort of, uh, when we know something, we take it for granted, and we become sort of like not as immune to it. 
It's like a nature. I was so amazed at what I saw. But the people over there, it's like saying, oh yeah, it's nice. I was saying, wow, this is amazing. They were saying, yeah, it's nice. Don't we do that thing, same thing? Don't we do the same thing with about the Word of God? When we are first in love and receive, like, he's like, wow, this is amazing. The gospel is amazing. The love of God is amazing. And after a little while, he says, yeah, it's nice. To the local residents who live out the, in the midst of that amazing scenery, the sight. What is nice and wonderful to them is not that beautiful, gorgeous of mountain and rock formation, but it's the money, fame, and lust. And that's no different than you and I. Exodus 20, 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. One of the church that I visited to give a message during the service before I got on the stage to preach, just like you know, some churches and we've done in the past, uh, reciting the Lord's Prayer, well, they were reciting the entire Ten Commandments from beginning to the uh, from the first to the ten, and I asked them after service, do you do this every Sunday? We do this every Sunday. Just to remind everybody the importance of obeying, the complying with the Ten Commandments. So what is true meaning of adultery? Biblically, I mean. The original meaning in Hebrew. Well, it has its literal uh, meaning and figurative meaning. Remember when life was simple? The good old days? I'm going to go back as all this Adam and Eve days. The simple good old days, they only had a one command, and we talked about it about three, four weeks ago. And that command, they didn't even have a Ten Commandments. They only had a one. Don't you like to live a life with only one command instead of like all these millions of regulations that we have today? Like, you can't go beyond 55 miles per hour. I wish I didn't have that. I can do whatever I want. I still do whatever I want. I eat. Well, they had one command and they messed it up. Well, there are two aspects to that. Don't eat that fruit. That's literal. That means you're not supposed to eat that fruit. Second is, Live life knowing that God exists. Live life knowing the presence of God. In other words, be faithful to God. That's why God placed the tree in the middle of the garden. Meaning that Adam and Eve has to see it every day. To remind them. There's God. Adam and Eve didn't need anything. They had everything. They didn't even have to work. They, don't have, they didn't even have all these relatives give you a hard time. 
or even the family members. Just add them in two of them. Only one command. Never have, they don't have to labor. They could just sit, just enjoy life, so to speak, the nature. But God wanted it. With that one command, thou shalt not eat that fruit, literally, but figuratively, know that I exist. You must live knowing that I am with you. The seventh of the Ten Commandments is very similar. The first, don't commit adultery. That's literal. It's very clear. Second is the same thing. Be faithful. Know that I am here and watching. You are not only married to your spouses, but you are also married to me. That's what God is saying. I am your husband, and therefore do not commit adultery on me. And you will unfold this as we continue. Do, do not commit adultery is like God saying, it's like God saying, don't eat that fruit. This is to protect the sanctity of a marriage between man and woman and between man and God. To know the importance of faithfulness, not only to spouse, but to God. So if you go down to a little depth, uh, the deeper. Literally, the word commit adultery means in Hebrew, usually for a man not to have a sexual intercourse with the wife of another. That's what it means. Very clearly defined in Hebrew. Luke 16, 18 says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery, unless... He or she is divorced as permitted by the Bible. The Mosaic penalty was severe. Both are to die by being stoned. And this is how serious God took it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says, Do not know. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oops. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor um, adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunk nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. God means business here. Then you may say, well, in that case, if I'm not married, isn't that okay? You know, sort of like I can fool around a little bit. Not so easy. And Jesus clarifies it even further. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 28, you have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her, with her in his heart. Now that's tough. That's real tough. You want to hear about my uh, uh, 
kind of conversation I have with Janice pertaining to this. Uh, many years ago, we were watching TV together. And there appears a beautiful woman in the commercial. Now, usually in the commercial, they have a good-looking uh, woman. So uh, good-looking face was right in front of me, and she was sitting next to me. And I, had to make, I just felt I need to make a comment. I didn't want to sound like, like, you know, sort of like pretending that I don't feel anything. So I had to say something. So I said, wow, she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. To my surprise, she didn't say anything. She didn't pinch me, she didn't hit for her, and she says, what a gorgeous guy. <laughs> this is proof that we are all born sinners. We have that temptation in us. We commit adultery without us even knowing it. And it's hard not to commit adultery. It's defined by our Lord Jesus. It's hard. But there is hope. First uh, Corinthians 6, 11 says, and that is what some of you were. That's us. But you have hope. You were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what happens if we believe in Christ and continue to repent and ask for forgiveness. Second, figuratively, it means that idolatrous worship is what we do on a daily basis. In other words, we are supposed to be worshiping God, but we unconsciously, sometimes intentionally and unconsciously, we worship images of other God. What are the images? Anything that takes us away from God. That's what I'm talking about. That's what God's talking about. In the book of Jeremiah, the nation of Israel was in turmoil. In other words, the people was in turmoil. Politically, it was all messed up. People were turning away from God. And perhaps because of that, people of Jerusalem were sent into exile. Now, the prophet Jeremiah was warning the people, you guys, you were once in love with God. Referring to when you were young, when you're in the beginning, you were royal to Almighty God, and now you have strayed away from God. And Prophet Jeremiah uses the word adultery figuratively, saying that they have committed adultery to God just as men commit unlawful sexual relationship with wife of another. That's how serious he thinks about turning away from God. So let's read Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. I'm going to read a few verses. If you have a Bible, you should just take it out and read it along with me. I only have a few verses on the slide. But Jeremiah chapter 2. 
And beginning uh, with the verse 1 uh, to 5, I'm going to read it. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through the land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, and all who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Now, we were once, when we were once in love with God, we did not turn away from God. Just like we, did, we do not turn away from our own spouse. And God is using this interchangeably between the adultery, the definition of adultery as having been bad thing. When you do something similar, like uh, you're staying away from me, it's the same thing, it's the same act. And verse 5 What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. And this kind of uh, uh, accusation continues in in Jeremiah chapter 2. In in verse 13, and God says, okay, let me say to you what this means. It means, verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Committed sin. When you turn away from God, you have committed sin, that's committing adultery. Verse 20 and 21. Long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds and you said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you laid down as a prostitute. I planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock how then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? God is appealing to us. You are committing adultery. You were once in love with me when you were young in the beginning, but you have turned away from me. Verse 26 and 27. As the thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the house of Israel is disgraced. They, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, they say to Wood, W-O-O-D, you are my father, and to Stone, S-T-O-N-E, we'll get to that, the wood and stone. Is coming back, right? The word, the meaning of stone. And to stone you gave me birth. 
They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet, when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Isn't that who we are? Isn't that what we are? Verse 31 to 33. You of this generation, consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or land of a great darkness? Why do my people say you are free to roam? We will come to you no more. Does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me. How skilled you are at pursuing love. Even the worst of women can learn from your ways. Now to the conclusion of the matter. Chapter 3, verse 8. Through nine. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because all because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear, she also went out and committed adultery. Verse 9, because Israel's immortality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. Committed adultery with stone and wood. Now, you know what stone means now, right? Stone means the word of God. Remember the Tower of Babel? They used brick instead of stone, and God didn't like it, and God demolished it. Stone is the word of God. Our God is rock. Psalmist says, my rock, you are my rock, my strength. Wood, what's wood? W-O-O-D, what is wood? What does that represent in this context? The Ark of Covenant was constructed of wood and carried the essence of God. Noah's Ark was made of wood. Wood saved, rescued the people. The tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden was wood, a reminder of the presence of God. The cross Jesus was crucified was wood. Wood was used to save man. Wood represents salvation. It also represents humanity of Jesus. Verse 9, let me repeat. Israel committed adultery with the stone and wood. Israel committed adultery against God, against Jesus, against the Holy Spirit.
But you know there is hope. If you continue to read uh, chapter 3, verse 12 and 14, go, proclaim this message towards the north. Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Verse 13, only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favor to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Verse 14, return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I choose you. That is why he's saying, do not commit adultery, not only to our own spouses, but to God as well. Because our God is our husband. And he's still, we still belong to him. That's why he cares for us. The verse 13 says to acknowledge your guilt. In other words, come before Jesus and come to the foot of the cross and confess so that you together, all of us, will be healed. A little boy was visiting his uh, grandparents and uh, was given a uh, slingshot. He was fascinated, he was excited, so he, was, he went to wood and started practicing and trying to hit some target, but he could never hit one. So he came back to uh, grandma's backyard and saw there was a, uh, a, a duck, a pet duck that his grandmother loved. And because he missed every target he tried, he figured he was going to miss this one too, so he took the slingshot, put a little stone, and ding, send it out. And this time, it hit the duck, and duck fell down and died. So the boy was panicky, and he desperately, he hid the dead duck in the wood pile, but only to find out his sister was watching. But she didn't say anything. After the lunch, Grandma says to Sally, the sister, let's wash this together. But Sally says, Johnny told me that he wants to help wash dishes. <laughs> Didn't you, Johnny? And she went to his, her brother and whispered to him, saying, remember the duck? So Johnny did not have any choice. He washed dishes. Later, Grandpa asked the cho- uh, children to, uh, that he would uh, take the kids to uh, fishing. Grandma says, no, 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 you cannot take uh, Sally because Sally needs to help me prepare dinner for that day. Sally smiled and said, that's all right. It's all taken care of because Johnny says he wants to do it. Again, she went over to Johnny and says, remember the duck? 
Johnny stayed behind in where Sally went to fishing. After several days of Johnny uh, doing both his chores uh, and Sally's, uh, finally he couldn't stand anymore, so he had a moral choice but to confess to Grandma that he killed the duck. I know Johnny, she said, giving him a big hug. I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing, just like sister. But because I love you, I forgave you. But I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave out of you. When you sin against your own spouse, when you sin against God, when you sin against your friend, we become slave to that sin. The verse 13 says, acknowledge your guilt before God. And 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's hope. That's who Jesus is, giving us new hope each and every day. And he has, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to change us and transform us and make us new creation again. Let that be our lesson. Let that be our prayer all day long. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your message, your word. Father, we bring our guilt before you. We have said that.